great man. Praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? He introduces and runs off. That's all right. We appreciate it. He's going to preach for a good friend of ours and uh, fulfill an obligation there. And so we're glad to be here. Forty years and none the worse for the wear. How about that? Amen. That was uh, Brownsburg, Indiana on August the 29th, 1970. Nice warm day, wasn't it? Speaking of warm days, we've had about two months of 100-degree weather with the humidity right up there, so we're enjoying this nice, cool air that you have here. But uh, it's so good to be here, uh, of course, with my wife. Uh, We've enjoyed the journey and will continue to do so. Can't believe that 40 years have gone by, and about two years later, our oldest son Richard was born, your pastor, and uh, then, uh, what, three years later, we had another one, Nathan who uh, lives in Michigan, and then about three years later, we had Anthony. That's called family planning. See, every three years, we, we had uh, sons. And so we didn't have any daughters. We got two beautiful daughter-in-laws, and we're thankful for them. And uh, then together, they've produced six grandchildren, three here and three in Michigan. So we're thankful for all that the Lord has done, the many friends and and uh, the opportunity to work together for the kingdom of God. In fact, just a few months after we got married, I went. we went after we got married, I was already at a place helping a pastor with a church and uh, doing some work. And then a few months later, we ended up pastoring the little church. And uh, it was a rough election, but all four or five voted for us, didn't they? I think it was, uh, it was a unique experience. And so we began our journey uh, in the ministry about 40 years ago as far as formal ministry after graduating from Bible school. And, uh, well, look what the Lord has done. It's just been tremendous. And uh, we're happy to be here today with, uh, uh, of course, our family. The other day... Uh, I finally left the office about 4 o'clock and planned to leave about, you know, 10 in the morning. You know how that goes. And then my wife and I jumped in the car and drove from uh, Jackson, Tennessee, up to Detroit, Michigan, 700 miles. It wasn't far. And uh, and we got there about, what, 4.35 in the morning, spent a couple of days with uh, our son and daughter-in-law and their uh, three children. We have 10-year-old twins and a 5-year-old boy. And uh, we had a great time up there. Had to take a miniature golfing and ride the go-karts and, and uh, all of those things, you know, the grandparents do. Uh, and then we left the car there and flew out here to visit the kids here. Because I asked my wife, I said, what do you want to do on your 40th? Well, she wants to see the children. So that's what we have to do. And then we'll fly back and pick up the car and visit for another day or so in, in Michigan. And uh back to Jackson. But God bless you. We always enjoy being here, although it hasn't been as much as I would like for it to be. Uh, My wife gets out here a little more, sometimes helping with the kids, and we're glad to be able to do that. There might be a day when we won't be able to travel as easy, and you know how that goes, but uh, uh, we're just thankful to be here. Good to hear the progress of the church. Not only naturally, we're excited about this building. Now, I did take my son through two building programs, so he understands what has to be done. Uh, And uh, go forward. Let me tell you something. Go forward. Don't let the devil stop you. Don't let anybody stop you. Amen. I know you have to be prudent and wise, and you have to do things correctly, and, you know, you can't be foolish, but uh, 
the house is full here almost, and I know you've got children downstairs, and when you get 80% full, if you don't build, you start to regress, and you sure don't want to do that. And uh, so we uh, are excited and uh, looking forward to what the Lord is going to do here on this. uh, Well, they're fixing the street up for you. Isn't that nice? And, uh, of course, it takes them forever, but they'll get it. Uh, and they're going to have plant trees out there, I understand, and along the that's great. That's great. You, this is a wonderful city, Pasadena, and it's a and it's a wonderful area. Now your your traffic is ridiculous, but uh, but I, I look at this, folks, and I hear uh, Brother Rios talk about the Bible school. Oh my! If I was here, I'd be involved in that because uh, you've got a, a world mission field right here. You don't have to go to the world. The world's come to the L.A. area. And so take advantage of that and uh, reach to every community that you possibly can and, uh, and, and see a great harvest. And this is what I love about this, this church, such, uh, such beautiful diversity, and, uh, and, and just go for it. Go for it. Reach souls. You know why? Because I never thought I'd reach get to 61 years of age so fast, but it goes quick. So let's give it our best. How about it? Come on. And then we'll go to heaven. And then we can rest. But from she's for Christ, working and marching and giving to your Sunday school downstairs, to your outreach, to your home Bible studies, home group cells, to uh, whatever it is you're doing, prayer meetings, uh, let's reach souls. That's what, what it's all about. And I'm going to talk about that for a little bit today. Amen. So I better get going. Amen. The book of Proverbs, chapter 20 and verse 14. And so again, and it's good to be here with Anthony. Amen. He's back there guarding the door. Amen. We appreciate our, our youngest son. And so at least when we come out here now, we can get two. Amen. He was in Texas, and that got ridiculous, you know. Uh, so we get visits with two children here and, and uh, then one in another part. But Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 14. Interesting scripture written by the wise man. And this is what it says. And I want to say what beautiful worship. Keep it up, folks. Good instrumentation, good singing. Uh, Sister Tamara Brown, you did a wonderful job here, or whoever coordinating all this. Just good and a delight to feel the touch of God. But here's what, what the wise man said. It is not, or it is nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing, saith the buyer. But when, not if, but when, he has gone his way, then he boasteth, or brags. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. Think about those words as we go back to the book of Revelation or to the end of the Bible. And we're going to look at a passage here in chapter 18, which I find quite interesting. And we're going to read it verse 10. What a challenging world we live in. And I think we're all aware of that. We've had an economic uh, downturn, and uh, there's a lot of strain in our world, both economically, politically, and socially, and every other way. But listen to this list, a litany 
of what the world longs for. Verse 10, standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all fine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots. That's how you got here this morning. And slaves and souls of men. What a list. As commercialism collapses at the time of the end. You talk about a great depression. That's nothing compared to what is coming. But I want you to notice that in that list of all these precious things, whether it be ivory or gold or precious stones, diamonds, chariots or vehicles, the last thing that's mentioned in verse 13 is souls of men. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about your most precious commodity. Your most precious commodity. And that's interesting because a commodity is any useful thing that is bought or sold or traded. And yet the Bible tells us here that in the midst of this list is one thing mentioned that is applicable to every one of us. And that is the soul of man. And I'm speaking about humanity. Everybody is God one. You may not have any gold. You may not have any silver. You may not have any ivory or whatever. You may not have any stocks or any bonds. But you've got a soul. And it's worth more than all the wealth of the world your most precious commodity. Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us to gather together here in Pasadena. Thank you for Life Church, what it's doing. Brother and Sister Brown, as they reach this city, appreciate their pastorate, their work, together with the precious saints of this church, to see what has been accomplished these last few years and what you're getting ready to do. Thank you for every heart that's here today, no matter who they are and where they've come from. Lord Jesus, speak to us, we ask. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Everything has a price. In our area, they grew a lot of cotton. In fact, they still do. Uh, And a bale of cotton is worth so much money. My wife grew up on a farm in Indiana, and her folks raised corn and soybeans and hogs. It was a land of corn and swine. Uh, That's exactly what it was. But uh, those hogs went for a certain price bushel of corn went for a certain price, and uh, so did soybeans. And uh, I would go down there and visit, and I knew nothing about farming. I was raised in the city. And every day at noon, they had to rush to a, to a, a radio. They would jump into the pickup there, and they had to turn on and get the Chicago Mercantile report on how much the beans were doing that day. 
They had to know what a bushel of beans was worth because they were raising soybeans. And so everything has a price, whether it be precious stones, a diamond, or a ruby, or, or an ounce of gold. We're hearing about that today. It's worth so much, and it's a hedge against inflation. Uh, uranium, nickel, silver, uh, manufactured goods. We uh, took our kids the other day, my middle son, uh, Nathan, works for Ford Motor Company, and uh, we went on a tour of one of the Ford Motor Company plants where they make the F-150 pickup truck and saw them all put together, and it was very interesting. And, and uh, so those folks work on that pickup and get it all fit together, and uh, then it rolls out. We saw them literally being rolled out at the end of the assembly line, and uh, then there's a sticker put on that, and of course it's what the truck is worth with the various uh, uh, things that are on it, all the additions and whatever. And, and, and so it has a certain price. Everything has a price. I was reading just the other day, uh, Somebody had left a New York uh, Wall Street Journal, I believe it was, and they were telling about these uh, people that have these very expensive cars. And uh, in Great Britain, they'll, they'll fly them up from Saudi Arabia for the summer. They'll spend $15 each way to fly their car up so they can enjoy the cooler weather in England for a couple of months. Fifteen, what did I say? $15,000 to get their car shipped up. And uh, what was interesting about the article was I'd never heard of these cars. Many of them cost a million dollars, and they had one Swedish sports car, and I can't even remember the name of it. I should have cut the name out and brought it with me. $1.9 million, a thousand horsepower, six of them in the world. Well, you'd have to be a, a Saudi Arabian sheik, I guess, or the son of one to afford it. But that's what they did. They, they would drive around England in these million to two million dollar sports cars that we've never heard of. Now, that's a long way from your Toyota Corolla. Let me tell you something. But uh, everything has a value. And I could go on and on about, about things that we deal with every day, whether it's uh, vehicles or trucks or furniture or food at the grocery store, even on the street, uh, cocaine and meth and everything that's circulating in the drug world has a certain value. And uh, one, I remember years ago I was preaching a revival way over in Virginia, and uh, it was up in the hills, and the pastor there, he and his brothers had basically inherited this junkyard from their father. And, uh, you know, have you ever seen junk men? They don't look like they're really dressed very nice. They usually got a bunch of old oily clothes on and a beat-up old hat and uh, uh, driving this pickup that you wonder how in the world it can run. And it looks like they haven't got a dime to their name. Don't let that ever fool you. Let me tell you something. They know the value of junk. And, uh, you know, I, I saw cans piled up there. It looked like a mountain of, of pop cans. Well, they were getting enough of those to crush them. And they had a bunch of copper that they had collected from who knows where. And they were going to melt that down. That had a certain value. And, and, and car batteries, they'd hired a fellow there who was busting up batteries and getting all of the stuff that's in batteries. And you get enough of that, and it's worth so much. And, 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 uh, and I went in one room, and I didn't even know what it was. Stuff hanging from the roof. And uh, I said, what is this, this dusty old place? It was ginseng roots. I have no idea to this day what ginseng roots are, but uh, they're quite valuable, and, and they have a certain value. And so they collect this uh, stuff. And, 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 and so 
the junk man knows what things are worth. I had a friend that understood about pocket watches. He knew about pocket watches. I don't know anything about pocket watches, but, but he had a book on what they were worth. He'd go to every flea market. He'd go to every roadside deal. We have a flea market in our area that runs all the way. It, it happens once or twice a year. All runs all the way from Alabama through Tennessee up into Kentucky, and it's 470 miles long. They line the roads with these, these uh, flea markets, and you can drive up and down there, and man, well, you're not going to get very far, but it goes all that way. And, and, and so he would hit these flea markets, and he would try to find these watches. And many times, because he knew what he was looking for, he'd buy a, an old watch from somebody, maybe for $50, and he had a connection. He knew somebody that uh, would buy these things, and sometimes he'd sell them for $500, $600, $800, or $1,000 simply by going to the right place and finding something, and somebody didn't know exactly what they had said, I'll, I'll take 50 bucks for it. One time, several years ago, and I've got the article, a fellow went to one of these flea markets in Arizona and saw this stone there, and he casually looked at it, and finally you know, but he knew what it was, and uh, he uh, asked the guy, "Son, how much will you take for it?" And they finally bartered down. He bought it for ten dollars. He sold it a little later for two point five million dollars. Now, how'd you like to be the guy that had sold it and read that in the newspaper? Simply because he knew the value of something. And I don't know a whole lot about antiques. We've got a lot of antiquers in our part of the country because there's just a lot of antiques, I guess. And, and uh, you know, furniture and, 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 and farming stuff and, and old implements and, 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 and fruit jars and you name it. I mean, they're always looking, you know, most of furniture that they call antique looks like early depression to me. You know, look, you want this in your house? But, uh, but yet it has a value. And a table that you might think is just a table, it might be worth thousands of dollars. I mean, you know, it's just like paintings. Who in the world is going to spend $3 million for a painting, but yet it has a certain value in a certain market? And, uh, and I could go on and on, but I think you probably get the idea that everything is worth something. Some things are worth very little, almost useless, valueless, and other things can add up into the hundreds of thousands and even millions of dollars. People are, are uh, looking at their portfolios these days. What's their stock doing? What's their bonds doing? And, 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 and how about their real estate? You've seen real estate fall here. And they, all over the country it's fallen. And where once it was worth such and such a price, now it's down here. Later on it'll be up there. But, but up and down. And, and, and everything is priced according to what the market says. This is what it is worth. Now, we've all had to trade in our cars or go in and say, well, it's time for another car. And uh, it's amazing sometimes how that guy will, you know, look at your car and he gets a little black book out and he goes up and down and he looks and uh, he finally comes back. And, uh, you know, after he offers you what he thinks it's worth, you wonder, how in the world did I ever drive this thing here? He's telling me it's virtually worthless. And, and I want to use that scripture. It is not, it is not saith a buyer. He's buying it. But when he is gone his way, then he boasteth. Imagine that fellow standing at that flea market in Arizona. Well, I tell you what, I don't think I'm going to give you $20 for that stone, but I'll give you 10 But knowing in his mind 
that thing is valuable. And the fellow that was selling it didn't understand how valuable it was. He thought it was basically just a, a nice-looking, uh, fairly, you know, valueless stone. And so they bargained, and he sold it for just a pittance. And the guy that bought it knew he had a treasure, and he was going to cash in on something that was worth an unbelievable price compared to what he paid for it. And I tell you that to remind you something. That though the world fights over things, whether it's a $5,000 car or a $1.9 million exotic sports car of only a few in the world, beautiful homes, and I look at homes here in California and some of these massive estates that you have that are, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollars just beyond imagination, and people that, that uh, add up their bank accounts and their stocks and, and everything that they've got. Those things may seem to be very precious to people. And if they lost it, they would be devastated and virtually destroyed because they've invested everything. And they put their hope and confidence in these things or this thing. But that is nothing. If you had a $30 million house to park a $1.9 million car, it would be nothing compared to the value of an eternal soul. Just one. Just one. And if we have 150 people here today or however many's in this building, you multiply that by 150, the value that is in this room and in this building is greater than all the wealth of this massive city and every bank and every stock portfolio and every real estate list that could list all of the real estate and wealth of this area would be falling far short of what one soul is worth. It is amazing. And yet people trifle with what is worth more than all the wealth of the world. You know, somebody if somebody gave me a, a diamond that was worth a million dollars, I don't think I'd casually put it in my pocket here with my quarters and my dimes. Hello? I don't think I'd be that careless. I think I'd want to put it in a safe place. I think I'd want to watch it. I think I'd be very careful. Yet people trifle with their soul and with their relationship with God like it's something that has no value. Here's what it is. The Lord told us well in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4 when He said, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. 
Now, die doesn't mean to quit breathing, but it's eternal separation from God. And the business of Satan, folks, here, let's be honest this afternoon, is the deception of souls. To look at your car and say it's not worth very much, when in actuality they know that's a very good car and they can buy it from you as cheap as they hopefully can get it, and they'll sell it for as much as they possibly can. That's what they do. But that's nothing compared to what the enemy would try to do with your eternal soul. I walk these streets and I go by and I see these people coming by the hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands right here in this city. And I look and, I, and, 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 and once in a while it, it just sees me. Who are they? What do they know about Jesus? Has anybody ever told them? Do they understand that life does not consist in the abundance of the things which we possess? Have they experienced God? Do they know about the wonderful power of the Holy Ghost and the baptism that we have in that name of Jesus Christ that remits every sin in our heart? The Bible said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, the article was saying that some of these men that, and they're young, that own these million to two million dollar sports cars. And I just can't imagine such a thing. That they kind of have an egotistical attitude like, hey, get out of my way. Look what I'm driving. I can park this thing anywhere I want. And I look down upon my nose at you because who are you? And, and you know, they've, they've got that, that attitude. But what is a man profited, the Bible said, if he gains the whole world? You know, you read about these rich men worth 50 billion, you know, 60 billion or whatever it is. I mean, after the first two or three billion, you know, what's the point? But, but you think of these people that are super wealthy. I'm not against the wealth. I mean, you know, Bill Gates, I mean, he invented so many things and, uh, you know, all the programming, and that's good, and it's changed our world. And, and I, you know, watching there in the Ford plant the other day, they show us a little film of Henry Ford. He changed the world. I mean, he put cars in everybody's driveway, gave them twice the wage that anybody else did so they could buy houses. And when they bought houses for the first time in their life, then they had to have washing machines and so on and so forth. And then people started to travel, and he started the motel industry, and, and, and that went on, and, you know, and, and the whole business. He changed the world. That's interesting. Nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you something. Don't ever think that your walk with God is something that is minimized uh, and is unimportant uh, and is marginalized somewhere, the most important thing that you can ever do in your human existence is call upon the name of the Lord. You see, the buyer is Satan. He wants to get your soul as cheap as he can get it. He wants to get you bound. He wants you to get 
thinking that this is important when this has nothing to do with eternity. We're right here in the middle of the, the film industry in Hollywood and the, the God, so to speak, of, of this generation. And, and uh, people worship these people. I mean, Paris Hilton, what has she ever done? But we read about I don't even know who she is. I mean, I get, we read about her all the time. What has she done? But, you know, she's a goddess or something. You know, she's famous for being famous, uh, you know. Uh, and, and these movie stars and all of that, and, 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 and they, they become the important people in our world and, and so on and so forth. And, and the devil wants us to get distracted. And it doesn't have to be with millions. Uh, it can be with something insignificant. Or it can be with somebody that will take you away from church and the things of God. Anything to divert your attention. And that's why you've got to guard your soul. You've got to guard your relationship with God. The Bible says this. I read in Proverbs chapter 14, and uh, we were studying there, or chapter 20 and verse 14. You know that it is not, or it is not saith the buyer. Then when he has gone his way, he boasts, man, I sure got a good deal on that. I stole that thing from that guy. He sold it to me for this, and I know what I can get for it. But down in the 17th verse, there's an interesting verse. It said, bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth is filled with gravel. How many like those big cinnamon rolls? We have them down there. I mean, huge. Anybody enjoy those big cinnamon rolls besides me? Oh, man. Cup of coffee. Woo. How about if you would get one of them big, giant, icing, dripping off of it, cinnamon rolls, and bite into it, and, man, you're, you're, I mean, your taste buds are already going crazy just at the sight of the thing and a whiff of the cinnamon and the icing. Oh, 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 I can't wait. Man, speaking of that, I can't wait right now. Is there one of those around? But how about if you bit into that with all of the anticipation of, oh, this is going to be good. And all of a sudden, your mouth is filled not with that beautiful cinnamon roll, and icing, but gravel. Would that be a disappointment? Bread of deceit or trickery is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. In other words, what you thought was so good, what you thought was so inviting, what you thought would satisfy you in life. If I can just drive this, if I can eat that, if I can live here, if I can go there, if I can see that, if I can be with them, then it'll be everything I ever wanted. But you find out when the dust settles, hey, this isn't where it's at. You know, $1.9 million sports cars need to have their oil changed, and somebody's going to bang into it, and this and that and the other, and you think, wow, this isn't what I thought it was. But let me tell you something. 
Fifty years ago, last May, just three months ago, God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Sergeant in Sherbrooke Street in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. You know what? That was 50 years ago, brother. But do you know something? It's never got old. It's never wore out. It's never got boring. I felt a touch of it here today in service. And a lot of things have happened in 50 years. But Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, somebody shout amen. Hallelujah. He never changes. He never changes. He never changes. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that living water that we might never thirst again. People go after what they think they want, and when they get it, then after a while they're bored with the whole thing. They're bored with it all. But you know something? You'll never be bored with Jesus. Don't ever think the devil's not going to bid for it. He's going to work overtime. He's going to try to minimize what you've got. That's what happened with Jacob and Esau. Esau comes in. He's hungry, wants something to eat. Jacob's cooking. He can smell it. Best stew he'd smelt in a long time. He was hungry. His flesh was saying, his belly was saying, I need something. And uh, he asked his brother, hey, can you get me a bowl of that pottage? I'm hungry. And, and as a matter of fact, he said, man, I'm starving to death. Oh, you're not starving to death. That's a devil's trick. Come on, church. He said this in Genesis 25:32: Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit... Shall this birthright do to me? Because Jacob said, well, I'll give you some, but you let me have your birthright. And Esau thought about that and thought, you know what? And this is where so many people are today. They serve the God of their belly. They serve the God of of flesh. They serve the God of sensuality. They serve the God of gratification. And if I just do this now, this is going to really be what I need. And so for... Just a mess of pottage, a small price. He said, you know what? The things that I have inherited from my father, the revelation of the mighty God, that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and to serve that God. You know what? That isn't that important to me. I'd rather have something to eat and kind of satisfy my hunger pains than worry about something that's way off in the future. And so he had his mess of pottage, and he felt good and filled up on it. And he went away satisfied and thought that was a good deal. But you know what? Six hours later, he was hungry again. Hello, hello, hello. And what had he done? He'd sold his birthright. He'd sold the truth. He'd let it go by. And he did not regard the things of God. I'm here to tell you today. Right here in this great big city, and there's a lot of flash, and there's a lot of temptation. Just like there is everywhere, but probably more so here. 
But I'm challenging you today, guard that relationship with God. Amen. Whether you've been in the church two weeks uh, or whether you've been in it 25 or 50 years, uh, it doesn't matter. The devil doesn't quit. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm here to tell you today what I have got from my God is worth more than all the wealth of the world. And when that time came for Esau to claim his inheritance, found out that he had sold it, his brother had stolen the blessing, and he had been blessed by their father Isaac. And the Bible says that he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Bless me. But, but he waited too late. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 17, for you know that how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Let me say something. Some decisions have deep consequences. Some decisions that you make have ramifications and consequences that will stay with you from years to come. If you're here today and you know God, stay as close to Him as you possibly can. You know what? You stay close to the Lord and love Him. You won't love the world. If you love the world, you won't love God. It's really that way. And, and, and the world's out there and it's appealing to this generation and trying to put everything out there that it possibly can. One of the saddest scriptures in all the Bible is, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. This present world, his world was different than our world today, but, but that's, all the devil wants to do is take your eyes off of Jesus and put it on this present world, whatever's going on. Get it off of that and get it on this, this present world. That's all that he desires to do. And I thought, wait a minute, Demas, you saw miracles. You saw blinded eyes open. You saw some of the things that the Apostle Paul did. You saw some tremendous things of God. No telling how many people you saw receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But you know what? Satan managed to get your sight off of what God was doing, who is the possessor of all souls. A soul that sinneth it shall die. It got, got your eyes off of those eternal things and put your eyes on temporal things. See, everything has a shelf life here in this world. It's only going to last so long. You know, milk's going to be sour in two weeks. All the way to cars that are going to fall apart in 15 years that you thought, if I only have one of those nice new cars, I'll be happy. And in 15 years, it's laying on top of a junk pile somewhere. Buy a brand new home, and 40, 50 years later, you're having to repair it or it's going to fall down. And people think, if I only had that. You know what? Maybe it's melancholy. Maybe I'm getting older. I don't know what it is. But you know, I look at things and I look at people and I know what's come and I know what's gone. And I realize that life is all about knowing my eternal maker and loving my God and coming to the house of the Lord. You know, I've gone to church ever since I was about two weeks old. 
So how many church services have you been in? Man, I'd burn up a calculator trying to figure out. How many sermons have you heard? I mean, how many times you have to be told? But I tell people, you know what? How many times have you eaten dinner? I can't remember every sermon I ever heard. Neither can I remember what I ate at every dinner for the last 60 years. But you know what? I needed that food to make me strong to live physically. And I need spiritual food and sermons and Bible study and the Word of God and reading to build me up. That's why don't forsake coming to the house of God. Be here when the doors are open, ready for the Word of the Lord. Pick up that Bible. I've read it through 20 or 30 times or more, but keep reading that Bible. It's strength, strength, strength to the inner man. So whether you live in a hut or whether you live in a mansion, whether you drive a bicycle with the fenders falling off, or whether you've got a Lamborghini. Those things don't matter. Come on, church. Three score and ten, and if by reason of strength, four score, it goes by quickly. But I'm so thankful that we can have a relationship with God, something that goes beyond this realm. We got a call just a couple of days ago man that grew up in the church that I pastored in Jackson, Tennessee. He knew my son well. He was a little older. He was in his 40s, probably late 40s, but we all knew him well and uh, uh, loved him. And uh, I don't know what, what exactly what happened. All we know is that in the middle of the night, he must have got up and maybe he had a pain, fell to the floor and died of a heart attack. But the beautiful thing was... Tom loved God. He really loved God. And he was filled with his spirit. And, and, and you know, Tom was, was, was unusual because he was savant. You say, what is savant? He, he was one of these individuals where somehow the wiring was not connected right in his brain. You could go, he, you, he could go up to you and say, what's the date of your birth? You would tell him, say, October 28th, which happens to be mine. He'd say, that was a Thursday. And he was right. He could remember things that were unbelievable. But yet he had trouble functioning in society. He couldn't really work. But, but he had this, this unbelievable mind. But you know what? He knew God. God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he knew that Bible... It was an amazing thing. Knew that Bible and loved God. Anthony, you know that. And, and Tom had a relationship with God. And you know what? Though he never had a lot of things in this world, yet he had a brain that was unbelievable in many ways. He knew enough to come to the house of God, to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And, and no matter what, even though he didn't have quite 50 years on this earth, thank God there's going to be a reward for the people of the Lord. Amen. He has called us out of this world from darkness and into light. It's amazing that the Lord gives us the power of choice. How many times have you heard the arguments, well, if he was a loving God, you know, why would he ever have a place called, called hell? You know, I mean, uh, why would there be such a thing? 
God's a God of love. Well, let me tell you something. God hates hell more than you do. And he hates people going there. In fact, the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is a God of love. He's actually the most wonderful being in all of the world, all of the cosmos. But you know what? He made us with a free will. He made us for a purpose. To relate lovingly to Him and to others. And you know some We're not accidents or modified monkeys. We're human beings. With the power of choice. And you know what? To that man or woman that doesn't serve God, rejects Him all of their life, and has no consideration for the things of God, God will grant that sinner what they have asked for all their life. Separation from Him. God has beautiful, softer virtues, love and tenderness, but He also has harder virtues, holiness, righteousness, and justice. And for that man or woman that rejects God, hell is the final sentence that says, you refused regularly to live for the purpose for which you were made. You never wanted to do that. And the end of that path is a path that you have chosen. I've heard this said that the pilgrims didn't come to America to create jails. They came to be free. They came to enjoy life and practice their religion. But unfortunately, they were forced to build jails for the disobedient. But I'm here to tell you today that the Lord loves you. The Lord cares for you. The Lord wants to give you His abundant living. You have the power of choice. I'll never forget, and I, I'm hastening here. I really am. I'm not just saying that. But I'll never forget the first visit that I made to Russia. 1990, it was still communist. My grandfather was born there. And so the missionary said, I'm going into the city of, of Odessa. We found some oneness believers there. He was a friend of mine. I said, why don't you come with me? So I flew to Vienna. We dro drove in his car across uh, Hungary and Romania and uh, finally into, into Ukraine, to Odessa. And uh, we had a wonderful time there meeting these people who had never seen an American before. They didn't know it was an American that was born and raised in Canada. But anyway, it looked good to them. And, and they wanted, you know, they, they rented a, a, the kind of the civic hall. And they had this fellow from the United States was going to speak to them. It was going to be about church. But the place was because they'd never seen in America. They'd never seen anybody. I mean, still communist. They'd never seen anybody like that. And so we, we spoke. We had a tremendous time. One night after the service, uh, they took us to the home of some of the saints. And let me tell you about the saints in Russia. They're amazing people. You know, we think we have to entertain people. You know what they did? We had some wonderful food afterwards. And then they pulled out the accordion and we sang courses and we praised God. That's how they had their good times. I'm telling you the truth. 
And there was a man and a, and a, and a lady sitting across from me, and, and, and the saints of God, they were, they were persecuted as, as Christians, obviously. Some of them had suffered more than others, but, but uh, by and large, Christians were given the lowest of the low jobs. So they lived very poorly, and their clothes were very, you know, they had one shirt. That's what they wore all week, that type of thing. And across from me was sitting a couple that looked very well-dressed. You know, everybody in Russia is equal. Some were just more equal than others, you know. And finally, their story came out through the interpreter. He had been a, quite a, a distinguished member of the Communist Party. And, uh, of course, by being a member of the Communist Party, they had access to certain things that the other people didn't have. And his wife had a beautiful fur coat on. He had a nice suit. And you could just tell these folks were different. So out of place from everything else we'd seen. Because the shells were bare. There was nothing there. And I'll never forget this. We began to talk, and I thought, what are they doing here? And then he began to tell his story. He said when he was a little boy growing up in Russia, uh, there were still some Christians there. And he remembered his grandmother would tell him about Jesus once in a while and would pray with him when he was a little boy. And then after that, he forgot it all and joined the Youth Commissar, whatever the Young Communist Party League was, and he started climbing the ladder. He didn't give a hoot about God, didn't even think about it. But then he began to see the fallacy of the system and saw things starting to fall apart. And he remembered the prayers of his grandmother. And somehow he came across these humble Pentecostals who were just scum as far as the Russians were concerned. And he met with them and went to their little services. And God began to get a hold of his heart. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and spoke in Russian and they translated it to me. And he told me a story about how the Lord was getting a hold of his heart. And then he looked at the people around him, the accordion and humble people praying. He said, these people are teaching me how to be a child of God. I thought, whew, a child of God. Not a child of communism. Not a child of system or Soviet man or abundance or good suits and fine clothes and, and food that nobody else can get in the country. But these folks are teaching me how to be a child of God. And you know something? The Lord's coming after His children. Come on, saints. No matter who you are. He's coming after His children. And I am so thankful that there was a day when somebody pointed me towards Jesus. And there was a desire in my heart to become a child of God. Amen. This brother told me just a little bit before service. What, a few months ago, a year ago, God filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, whatever it was. I thought, oh, thank God. If you haven't been filled with His Spirit, let me tell you something. There's an abundant life. There is a powerful experience. It'll never grow old. And let me tell you, 50 years later, He hadn't got old with me, and it won't get old with you if you'll draw nigh to Him. He will draw nigh. 
Let's stand together this afternoon. Remember the title, Your Most Precious Commodity. People have fought over things. I know families who have split up over who gets this table and who gets this chest of drawers or who gets this or that. It's just sticks and wood and it'll burn in a fire. Nothing. The only thing I'm going to take with me on the other side is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Heaven isn't just a mythical place. Hmm. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Every word written in this Bible is true. Yea and amen. The world may mock it and laugh at it and say that's a bunch of heresy or that's not true or fairy tales, but it's coming to pass. I made up my mind. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to walk that street of gold. I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. This soul that I have is worth more than all the wealth of the world. And I want to bring it to Jesus Christ. And I want to live in his eternal presence someday. Just kind of close your eyes for just a moment and let's think about the wonderful things of God. Beautiful, sweet spirit that is in the house of God today. Your most precious commodity. Young people, don't, don't, don't turn back to this world. Don't be influenced by it. It's going to go up in flames and destroy saying, well, you're being fatalistic and harsh. I'm preaching the Bible. Set your affections on things above and not on the things on the earth. If you're here today without a relationship with God, why don't you start that journey? Let it take you to an altar of prayer, to the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost power of God in your life. You'll never be sorry. And it's real. It's real. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you've got a made up mind and that's all it takes is a heart that believes in Jesus Christ with everything within you and you obeyed His gospel repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and the infilling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues, then you will make it into that kingdom of God. Stay close to Him. If you don't know Him today or you want to be sure that you're ready to meet Him and that you want your soul, that eternal soul, worth more than all the wealth of the world, be in his presence. You can come to this altar this afternoon. You can begin to call upon the name of the Lord. You can draw near to him. Feel his wonderful touch. Don't sell out for messes of pottage, for trinkets, for a little bit of temporary fame, pleasure. But make up your mind. I wonder today, especially to our precious young people that are here, under 25 years of age particularly, 
Do you have a made-up mind? I want to give you that opportunity to make your way to the front here today and say, Brother Brown, I've made up my mind. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to stay close to Jesus. I'm not listening to the voices of this world, but I'm listening to the voice of God, the Word of God. If you feel that way today, why don't you just step forward right now? Whether you've had the Holy Ghost for 10 years or whether you've never received it, but you want to dedicate that life to God. Young person, why don't you step forward right now? Here's some right now. Just come on, get up here close. I'm on, I'm right up here. That's it, right, right up here. I mean, just praise the Lord. Come on, son. Come on, young people. Praise the Lord. Over here. Come on. Just come on around. That's it. Amen. Devil wants you, but God wants you more. How about that? Amen. That's it, son. Praise the Lord. Come on up here. That's it. Just lift those hands to the Lord right now. Look at this, folks. Praise the Lord. (laughs) The Lord loves you. Amen. Is there anybody else that wants to come forward right now and say, I turn my life over to my God. I'll never listen to those voices of the old world. I love my Jesus. Come on. He's here today. Young people, let's just begin to stretch our hearts and our hands to the Lord right now. Say, Jesus, I surrender all. Blessed be the name of the Lord and these precious adults that are here tonight. Come on, I wonder this afternoon, I want you to come around these precious souls here. Come on. Hallelujah. Lay a hand upon them right now. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. That's it. Just step forward here. Come on. Praise the Lord, young people. That's it. Just step forward. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. That's it. In that congregation, lift up those hands to Jesus right now. Most valuable thing in all the world resides inside of you. Oh, devil, you're a liar. You're a deceiver. You try to trick people into selling out. But, oh, God, bless these precious souls here today, Lord. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only He can change your heart.
reach for heaven right now, folks. If you could. 
Thank you. 